First <clears throat> Peter chapter 5. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever and ever. Amen. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as my faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that you are that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love, and be peace be with all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. <clears throat> So, the last couple of weeks we've taken a break from the Gospel of John, and uh, I just had freedom to sort of reflect on the Scripture and, and listen to God and ask Him what what we should preach on. And I, I feel like God helped me uh, the last couple of weeks, and, and uh, this passage kept coming to my mind uh, this week. And in a, in a weird way, this came to my mind, and I was spending time reading through the story of Joseph in my, in my devotions, like, as I'm going through the scripture, there's a, a new Bible reading plan that I'm using. I don't know if you're familiar with Bible reading plans, but there's a ton of them. People have made plans to, like, read the whole Bible in a year, or read this type of stuff in a year. There's different plans you could do if you want someone to have laid out a plan for you. And uh, so in our day and age, there's an app for that, right? <laughs> so I'm, I started using a, a new app called Read Scripture made by the, uh, my mind goes blank again. It's made by the Bible Project guys, the guys that made all the videos of the scriptures. So Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey out of Portland, uh, Western Seminary, and his, his homeboy from L.A., I can't remember his name, but uh, they put together this app called Read Scripture, so it incorporates some of their videos, uh, so you could start your devotion time by watching a video, wow, amazing, uh, and then it has a portion of Scripture and then a psalm, and so it's, it's a pretty standard way of spending time with God, praying through a psalm reading the scripture and kind of meditating on who he is. But yeah, if you're interested, it's just called Read Scripture. Like search Read Scripture in whatever app store that you subscribe to and it'll pop up. Um, so it's been cool. Um, and I, I was reading through the story of Joseph. That's how I, I just wanted to share that though. I think it's important that there are scripture reading plans for us. So 
as I was reading the story of Joseph, it, 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 it hit me how powerful stories are in the scripture. And in fact, God makes 75% of what we call scripture stories. It's narratives about people's lives and how God worked with them. And it's, it's so important for us, and this is what God was impressing on me, the power of seeing how God works in somebody's life. Seeing how it works out in the, in the realities of somebody's story versus learning a sort of theological truth, right? That's sort of divorced from somebody's existence, right? Theological truths are not bad things. Propositional truths are not bad things. But if we just spend our time sort of in the, uh, this area of like propositions and the- theology, and it's divorced from sort of the practical everyday things of life, I think sometimes we can fall into the, to the pitfall of thinking like, I'm a Christian because of what I know and, and what I believe, and then it doesn't really kind of filter out in how I am, right? Or we could make the mistake of thinking like our society would have us believe that our, our religious perspective, is there's a little category for that in our life, and it needs to stay in there. So I'm a Christian category, you know, and that, you know, according to the coexist bumper sticker, you can put whatever symbol you want in that category, you know, just keep it to yourself, right? And the coexist people, of course, are so condescending because they're standing above everyone else and saying, you all need to coexist. I know better than y'all, right? Um, so every time I see that bumper sticker, I'm like, coexist. Who are you to, co- to tell us to coexist? Like you're above us. Uh, that's interesting. So we, we, we could tend to divorce like what God is doing maybe from our own lives and think like it's just about the truths of the gospel, especially if you think, if you're like in the sort of reformed tradition of theology and you really honor like the scripture and, and the ideas that, that it brings forward. Um, but you, I think sometimes you would, you would, be in danger of, and I'm not saying it's, it's a one-to-one, but we could be in danger of, and, and I think in myself, this is a pitfall that I have is like knowing and not really like seeing it work out in my life. And so I think it's important for us to think about stories and think about how God works in people's lives, and God thinks it's important too because he filled his book with stories. So first, I want to encourage you to go back and just spend some time reading through stories. And I, and I wanted to look at this passage today, 1 Peter, in light of Peter's story. Because we get to learn a little bit about Peter through the Gospels, which is really cool. So remember, I mean, think about this for, for yourself. Just imagine that you're a fisherman or a fisher person X, whatever we, however we would phrase it in our society. Imagine that you are a fisher, X, and uh, you're, you've been out fishing. You're an, you're an experienced expert fisher, and you've been in your, your boat all night casting your nets, and then you come in in the morning, and you're doing your cleanup routine. You know, after the job, you do whatever you clean up, right? Washing the nets, getting, getting ready for the next day, you know? And then you see that there's, like, a seminar happening on the beach, and there's this teacher and all these people following him and then he just comes up to your boat and gets in and says hey can you push out in the water a little bit so I can teach these folks you know 
and uh, like, okay, you know, people are very hospitable in Middle Eastern culture. And so probably just out of the nature of like your culture, you would, you would say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll honor this rabbi. And, and so I can still wash my nets a little ways from shore. You know? So they pull Jesus out in the boat and he sits there and teaches people for a while. And Peter and his partners in business, James and John, had been fishing all night and caught nothing, according to this story. And then Jesus gets done teaching, right, this rabbi who knows everything, so smart. And then he turns around to Peter and his buddies and says, hey, let's go fishing, <laughs> right? Let's go out and cast your nets. I mean, what do you think to yourself, right? Like, you're the expert fisherman, right? And all of a sudden, this teacher's saying, let's go fishing. And you, you want to, like, let him down easy, you know, like, now's not the time to fish. And Peter, you know, out of respect, says, Rabbi, we've been fishing all night, and we didn't catch anything. But if, if you say so, we'll go do it, you know? And I can imagine myself, like, because I've, you know, I've been, I've built houses, I've done a lot of construction, you know, and I remember building a house in, in Spokane, and we're framing up the house, and then the homeowners come back from Lowe's <clears throat> and tell us, uh, you know, the guy at Lowe's was telling us, and I'm like, you know, like, like biting my whatever, like, okay, you see this house framed up, right? Like, we know what we're doing. I don't know who you talk to at Lowe's. I know, that, I know that they do their best to choose experts in every field to work in every department of their store, but we're just not going to listen to the guy from Lowe's. So when, when this teacher turns around and tells these fishermen, let's go fishing right now, they got to be like, do you work at Lowe's? Like, are you kidding me? Like, come on. You can't work. Okay, let's go. Let's go fishing with the teacher. You know, let's give him his experience. So they go out. And cast their nets, and they're miraculously overfilled. They catch more fish than they could have ever imagined, and they're calling for help to get, to get all these fish. And then all of a sudden, Peter's like, whoa, like, what's going on here, right? And Jesus says, let's go be fishers of men. You guys follow me. And they're, they're like, yes, we're with you, right? Like, if you can do that, like, what else can you do, right? So this is the beginning of, of Peter's interaction with Jesus as he begins to walk with Jesus. <clears throat> it's such a cool story to think about, Peter beginning to follow Jesus in this way. And I think, you know, all the Gospels give us that full picture of that beginning story. <clears throat> and he knows by experience, Peter, what he's teaching in, the, in, the, in these passages I just read. And like I said, God is using not only these truths that Peter is writing, but Peter's not just writing this letter divorced from who he is or what he's been through. I think that's so important for us because Peter, God is still working in Peter's life even when he's writing these letters. And when we divorce the teachings of Jesus from real life situations and make it about religious ideas or practices or a moral system, we're in danger of separating Jesus' teaching from our everyday situations. So Jesus came to give us life even at work even at play, even when we're just hanging out with our family. It's so important for us to remember, like, 
we come here on Sundays and we do religious stuff, so to speak. We, we get to unite ourselves in worshiping God and praising his name. We get a place to do that freely. We get to sing. We get to pray. We get to hear the word and praise God for that. But this cannot be the sole place of your interaction with God in, in a week's time. Like, that's not what God intends for you. That's, that's like starving yourself spiritually, right? And it's like not taking advantage of the opportunity to walk in the Spirit throughout the week. The Spirit intends to help us in our workplaces. Like, God knows where you work and why you're there and who works with you and all of their stories, and he knows who you are, and he knows that, that his plan is to put you there as a representation of Jesus to those people, even where you work, where you walk, where you shop, like wherever it might be. God's at work in those, in those places to bring about the reality of who he is. And I think when we read Peter's letters in light of his story, we can see that his experience shaped this teaching, and I think it brings out more truth, so to speak, to what Peter is saying. It's not just truisms, or it's not just uh, a good idea, or some sort of Christian book. It's Peter's testimony. And we see the Christ-likeness shining through Peter, shining through this uneducated Galilean fisherman. Pretty awesome. In fact, Peter probably couldn't write. Mark, the gospel of Mark, if you didn't know, is Peter's gospel, right? This is Peter's story, and Mark wrote it for him, because Mark could write. Uh, so Peter's in Rome, telling Mark, write down this gospel, and it's for the Romans. We know that the gospel of Mark is, is aimed at the Roman culture, because um, Jesus is kind of like a Superman, so to speak. Um, so my outline today is kind of fluid. I have three points-ish, and, uh, but I want to walk through the story in light of this passage, and uh, walk through this passage in light of the story, sorry, rather, and see what really stands out. So point number one is taken from uh, verses five through seven, dress for success, right? Uh, he said, clothe yourselves or dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Uh, the scripture uses this idea of clothing yourself throughout. It's an interesting way of, of talking about doing spiritual things. I remember once preaching... Uh, at one of the first churches that was going to support Angie and I in in missions, uh, it was a church that we had been part of, and there was it was an an older congregation ish, uh, and so I had recently bought a new suit, so I wore my suit to preach in, you know, and uh, I of course think of some snarky joke just because that's who I am, and so I get up there and I say, you know, well, uh, thanks for having me, uh, everyone, and I'm glad to be here. Um, you know, I haven't really been praying or reading the word or anything. I haven't really been walking with Jesus. But uh, I figured if I just wore my suit, everything would be all right. And uh, just silent nods from the congregation, just like, and I was like, oh, shoot. 
Like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. Uh, so, like, dressing for success, you know, is very true in our culture. But that, that's, that's kind of what Peter's saying here. It's what the scripture says. It says, at different times, clothe yourselves and put on love. Another way, another translation would translate is put on. Put on love. Uh, put on humility. Put on the new self. Put on Christ. Put on the full armor of God. Maybe you've heard the, these different sayings. Put them on. There's, there's, it's calling us to something there, like, like getting clothed. And, and Peter says, clothe yourself with humility as you relate to one another. <clears throat> so, I mean, imagine dressing like terribly inappropriately to relate to other people. Sometimes you're distracted by the way people are dressed. And Peter is wanting us to clothe ourselves with humility as we interact with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with the family of God, to approach one another with humility. But I th- even beyond the family of God, I think Peter would say, clothe yourself with humility as you're interacting with people. This is something that is, is right for people. And when we think about Peter's story, <clears throat> I think that Peter has, in his story, put on pride at different times. And we, we see him interacting with Jesus uh, he is so sort of amped about what Jesus is doing. You know, Peter's excitable, we see in the story, and Jesus is at different times telling him stuff, and, and uh, Jesus is trying to get, he's, he's teaching the disciples something he knows that they don't understand, but he knows that they will understand it as time progresses, and he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be mistreated, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised from life on the third day. And they're scratching their heads saying, what is he talking about, you know? And Peter says, this is never going to happen to you, you know? Take it back, Jesus. And sort of, he's all excited, you know? He's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for you. And, and, and Jesus kind of says, Peter, before the, tonight, like before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me three times. And it's, a, it's such a poignant <clears throat> part in Peter's story, but like this, it's a time when Peter didn't sort of clothe himself with humility, right? And he just let himself go and just like, I'm, I'm going to fight for you, you know, and kind of in front of all the other guys who are sitting there wondering what Jesus is talking about as well, right? And it's like, come on, guys, like, let's, we're going we're gonna to take back the kingdom. We're going to kick the Romans' butts. We're going we're gonna to get back to the golden, golden era of ruling the world. And uh, he gets rebuked. And Jesus restores him through prayer. It's interesting how Jesus, even when he reconnects with Peter, he says, Peter, I've prayed for you so that when you're restored, that you, you'll restore the other brothers and sisters. You know? So I think Peter has seen the opposite of humility at work in his own story and in the people that interacted with Jesus. And he, he's able to stress to the body of Christ, to the family of God, that, that they should clothe themselves with humility. He watched Jesus tear into the Pharisees, people who were not humble. They made a pretense of being humble by the way that they sort of walked out their religion. And Jesus straight up called them sons of the devil. <laughs> I mean... It's like no mincing words with those guys. Peter watched Jesus interact with these guys, and he, he sees 
their lack of humility sort of being confronted by, by, by God. So he knows what he's talking about. Now, this passage, this, phrase, this is a, such an interesting phrase that Peter uses here. It's a participle phrase that's all connected. And it's important to understand that because he says, uh, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So this whole phrase, it works like this. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. At the right time, he will lift you up, giving all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So the way this really comes across is, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God by giving your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So he's answer- this is teaching us, how do I humble myself under the mighty hand of God? It's by giving my, carry- my carries, my don't listen to that, Nate. Was, I misspoke. By giving your worries and cares to God. By that. that. So how do I humble myself? It's by giving my worries and cares to God. That's how I, that's how I show my humility. Because it, think about the way that pride works. Oh, I have all these problems. I have all this stuff. Like, God, you can't help me. You're not helping me fast enough. You're not going to do anything. I, I need to take this on myself. I need to, I need to make this happen. I, I often think like that. I, I have a lot to do. I, gotta, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the word. I got to like get the ground running and get, and get stuff done, God. I don't have time to wait for your timetable. You know, eternity is nice for you, but I have stuff to do this week, like in the next couple hours. All my worries and cares are just like taking, pulling me back from God. And I'm falling down. Like I'm, I'm just like, not being humble toward God. Humility is to say, God, you know what I have to do. You know all these things are just piling up on me and I almost can't carry this burden. Please help me. Please, I'm gonna just like cast these things on you. And I love this picture that Peter, this word casting, right? Because Peter is someone who knows what casting is. Not that he used a fly fisher. He, he was casting nets, right? He's out over this vast, deep, empty ocean. He's ca- he casts his net, hoping that it's going to get filled with fish, right? And he's saying to us, like, when you cast your care, your, good night, when you cast your worries and cares upon God, you're not going to miss him. It's, it's not going to come back empty. You're gonna, God's going to catch it. God's going to catch those worries and cares every time. I love that picture. Because for me, like, fishing is just a mysterious thing. I went fishing with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law one time. And I, my brother-in-law and I are, like, opposite poles of optimism and pessimism, right? And so we went in this fishing boat out into the ocean to, to fish. And we're fishing, right? I'm holding a, a stick with a string on it and bait. And I imagine, I, in my mind... I picture things a lot. I create pictures. And the picture in my mind is my string with my bait going down into this vast, empty darkness, bereft of fish, just floating in the darkness with nothing around it for miles. Just, and I'm just waiting on nothing, and nothing's going to happen, right? And I was describing, what? <laughs> and I'm describing that picture to my brother-in-law, right? And he started laughing. He goes, 
I picture the bottom of my string with my hook, and all these fish are around it, just looking at it, just waiting to bite it. <laughs> I'm just like, you're so stupid. <laughs> and we didn't catch anything for like five hours. So maybe it was my pessimism that didn't know. Uh, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I love that picture. How do we humble ourselves before God? It's by acknowledging that he can handle the problems that are before us, the challenges that he's put in our path. Maybe he designed those to, to challenge us, to change us, to grow us. <clears throat> I don't really like that right now. I'm like uncomfortable with that, but I know it's true. <clears throat> we see that in Peter's story. He gives, Jesus gives Peter chances to totally fail. And we always like to be like, huh, huh, Peter, he always puts it in his mouth, huh, Peter. But this is how God helps us, like, grow. It's, it's God saying, Peter, I know, I, I understand your heart behind this. It's just warped, and it's immature, and you're like a baby, and you, I'm going to let you fall down this time so that you learn. And, and when you come back, you're going to be stronger, and you're going to be to help other people. So he says, humble yourselves. And this comes back to just like the rudimentary basics. And Peter even writes in his letter, you know, it's good that I repeat these things to you. I know I've, I've said these things to you before, but it's good to repeat them. How do we cast our cares on God? We pray. We straight up cast with our mouth. Help me, God. I have these concerns. I have these worries. I have all this stuff. I'm going to put it on you. We pray. We go read the word. God, how did this work out in somebody's life? How did it work out with Peter? How did it work out with Joseph, with Abraham, with Moses? And we come to the community, the family of God, and we call somebody up and we say, hey, I have a problem. Or hey, let's, can, you, can we talk about this? Can we, can we sit down? And we have faith. We trust God. Like God, I know you're in control. I've seen your story. I've seen your plans work out. I know that you, you want me to be more like Christ. I know what you're doing in my life, but right now I don't understand it, and it's hard for me. I'm just going to choose to trust you in this, and, and that's all I've got. So point number two, watch out. This, this term that we see in the scripture, like be alert, be awake, look up, beware. Stay alert. Peter says, now watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Think about Peter's story in light of the devil's schemes. Later in his letters, he says, we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. Because Peter has seen the game that the enemy, the adversary, runs on God's people. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the adversary of God. He's the adversary of you if you want to follow Jesus. He's your friend if you want to be a friend of the world, if you want to follow after the American dream. He's all for it. But he's the adversary of faith. He's the adversary of Christ-likeness. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that tries to trick you into doing something and then turns around and tattles on you to God. 
He's your enemy. And Peter says, watch out for this one. He's prowling around like a lion. Peter knows, in fact, what it means to be devoured by the enemy. It's interesting to see Peter interacting with Jesus. When Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples in Matthew 16, and he says, who do you say that I am? He says, who do people say that I am? You know, let's have a talk about me, right? And uh, they're like, well, you know, CNN says that you're uh, Elijah and you came back from the dead and someone else says this and, and so-and-so says this. And, and he says, okay, whatever. Who do you say that I am, right? And then Peter just chimes in and he answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replies to him in Matthew 16, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So here they're having a conversation, and Peter says the right thing (laughs) this time, right? Peter says something that was revealed to him by God. He just says, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't say, good job, buddy, you figured it out, does he? He gives glory to God. He says, Peter, God revealed that to you. Like following Jesus and having faith in Jesus is not about figuring out some sort of religious mystery. It's a revelation from God that there's forgiveness of sin, that there's, that there's deliverance from this world that we live in. And God sends it to us. God gives us faith. God gives us grace. And we respond. And so this is kind of a, Peter's like, yeah, right? Like, that's pretty cool. What do you guys think? You know, like looking at his companions, right? I just got made the foreman, basically, buddies. And uh, so then Jesus keeps talking, right? It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law that he'd be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he says, This will never happen to you. You don't want your rabbi to die. You don't want your teacher to be mistreated. You don't want these evil things to befall. This teacher, what am I, am I doing something bad? Uh, So, I mean, I can understand this. I mean, from a human perspective, Jesus is in trouble, and Peter's going to come and help him. Peter's going to say, no, 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 this is, come on, man. This is not going to happen to you. And what does Jesus say? Thanks, Peter. Maybe you guys have heard. Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. Or it's been translated, get behind me, Satan. Right? Here's Peter at the, sort of at a, sort of a mountaintop of revelation that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, to being devoured, in a sense, by the enemy. And Jesus calls him Satan at that moment. So Peter knows what he's talking about when he says, watch out for the devil. He's prowling about like a roaring lion. He wants to devour you. Peter was sitting with the 12 disciples at the Last Supper when Jesus is teaching on the the very night that he's going to be betrayed by Judas. And Jesus says to them all, 
this is what I talked about a couple weeks back, right? Like, I'm going to be betrayed. One of you is a devil, right? One of you is going to betray me. And remember, remember, if you don't, their response was not like, I knew it, Judas, get out of here. Their response was, who is it? Is it me, <laughs> right? Like, who's going to be, betray Jesus? Nobody knew what it was. And then Peter seemed to think that it wasn't him, right? Because he leans over to John and he says, ask him who it is, right? So I don't know if he was worried that it was him, you know, so he could get it over with, or if he just kind of knew it wasn't him. But he, John, you know, is leaning on Jesus at that point. He says, who is it? You know, and Jesus says, the one that I dip the bread and give it to you. Like, he's honor, he honors this person. And so when he does this, nobody even suspects him still. Like the narrator is telling us, when Judas went out, Jesus said, here, he honors Judas at this feast, and he says, go do what you're going to do quickly. And Judas runs out, and it says he was filled with Satan at that point. Satan filled him. And the disciples thought he was just going to do, buy some more bread or something that Jesus told him to do because he carried the money purse. They did not suspect anything about Judas. But later on, Peter saw what had happened. Later on, Peter saw that this guy that was just like the rest of them, that had been following Jesus for the last three years, all of a sudden, completely was devoured by the enemy and turned, turned on Jesus, sold him for 30 pieces of silver to his adversaries. So when Peter says, watch out for this, he knows what he's talking about. He's seen this destroy a person <clears throat> in, their, in their fellowship. He knows this lion has no teeth for those who are in Christ Jesus. He knows that this lion can be resisted. James, the brother of Jesus, who is Peter's partner in leading the church in Jerusalem, wrote this in his book, James 4, the verses 5 through 8. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. It's interesting that he quotes this same scripture. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The same one that Peter quotes, James and Peter. That must have been in their DNA group. They memorized that scripture together, right? And that had an impact, impact on them as they, as they thought about how to, how to follow God. They remembered that scripture, and, and it caused them to manifest that humility and to teach others to do the same. But understand what James is telling us. We humble ourselves before God, and we resist the devil, and he will flee from us. And we, we draw close to God, and God will come close to us. So the, there's that time where the, the enemy comes and brings that other voice in our, in our minds. You guys have your own voice in your mind, that thought voice that you use. It's not like a voice, but it's, you know, how else to describe it. You think thoughts, and they sort of take form, right? Like, hmm, I think I'm going to do this, you know? Like in movies, they portray it with like a whisper sometimes, or they, they try to figure out how to portray like people are thinking about something, but it's not coming out. And your thoughts aren't, aren't exactly words, because sometimes you have this awesome thought, and then when you say it, you're like, ugh, that was gross. What, what was I thinking? That didn't come out right. And uh, 
But there's always that voice, right? Like we draw near to God or we're, we're, we're encountering a situation and then there's that voice that comes, right? Like when Jesus says, I'm gonna go be mistreated, I'm gonna be killed in Jerusalem, Peter's probably thinking, I don't really understand this, right? And then there's that other voice that comes and says, no, you're not. I'm gonna prevent, we're gonna stop that, Jesus. And Peter's like, that's a good idea. Yeah, because if we're gonna take over, like we can't let you get killed, right? So this is not gonna happen to you, right? And that's that other voice that's been there from the very beginning of God's story. There was another voice that came in. When God said to Adam and Eve, he said, you guys, use this garden up. Eat any of the fruit that you want. Eat any any of the vegetables of the garden, right? Except one tree. Don't eat the fruit from that one tree. And then the other voice came and said, listen to the lie. I mean, if there's someone who's good at lying, it's the devil, okay? He's the father of lies. It's his native language. And in a sense, like, I love the way that he frames this lie because he still does it today, this way. He says to Eve, did God really say that you can't eat any of the fruit in this garden? It's like this exaggerated lie. Like, are you, like, are you really going to listen to that? Like, he said you can't eat any of the fruit. He knows it's a lie. But it just brings confusion right at the beginning. And Eve says, no, that's not what he said. He said we can't eat any any of the fruit of that one tree, or touch it, or we'll die. And then he just continues with a straight-up lie. You won't die. He's just a liar. But that voice still is around. That voice still hangs around. Paul, Paul talks about in, in, in uh, Corinthians that we've, we're fighting this warfare. We're fighting this, this war that's not, it's not a physical war that we're fighting. It's a spiritual battle that we face. And we take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Because this voice comes. The enemy's voice, this roaring lion wants to come and lie. It wants to come and distort. and wants to come and, and steal away God's word. And we can resist that. We have to learn like, to discern, is that, is that my thought? Is that somebody else? Is that, is that God's voice? And we, we learn that. By spending time in the word, by spending time with our brothers and sisters, by growing in our knowledge of who God is, by, by drawing near to God in prayer. And that doesn't mean that we're experts at using words that God likes to hear. God loves you because you're his child, just like Caleb and Stephanie love that baby. And that baby can't say anything intelligible right now. But they don't, that doesn't affect, they're not offended by the baby's inaudible crying, Right? There's a love that God has for you, that he says, I'm a father, that he wants us to understand what it means. And drawing near to God is coming as you are, whether you're a baby or some kind of master theologian who can pray all the best prayers in the world, you have them all memorized. God doesn't care. God wants you to draw near to him, and that makes the devil flee. So Peter says, resist the devil, and he knows what he's talking about. He's interacted with the enemy, and he's seen him at work. In fact, Peter thought that he won it at one point. So the last, my last point is suffering is a path to strength. First Peter 5, and I'm just going to read this to the end. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation 
all power to him forever. Amen. And then that's kind of his conclusion of the letter to the church. And then he adds this last part, which I feel like is like the deleted scenes of the letter. It's like the extra, you know, the special features that you can look at where they're like the bloopers. And you get to see them like making the movie. Like here, here Peter's like, I've written this and sent this short letter with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. So Peter's writing this letter, and it sounds like this guy's helping him write it. Sylvanus or Silas is this guy's name. And he sends it with this guy. So these people aren't seeing Peter, but he's showing up with Peter's letter. He says, hey, read this to your church. I commend whom I commend to you as a faithful brother, Silas. My purpose in writing, so he tells us why he wrote it, I want it is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you because they're experiencing suffering. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love, and peace be with all of you who are in Christ. It's awesome how he says your sister church in Babylon, because he's in Rome, right? But there are Roman censors that read mail. So he, he, he calls it Babylon, right, which is a code word for like, this place is evil. <laughs> like Rome sucks. But he doesn't want to say Rome sucks because if they read it, they'll be like, we're going to kill you. They killed him anyways. But at least in this letter, they probably didn't catch on. So he, he calls it Babylon. And Babylon in the Bible is like a code word for like the worst system ever. Like the most evil culture. The, just like the place that you, you just don't want to be part of, right? And it, Babylon pops up in eschatology again as like an evil place, right? <clears throat> it's a, yeah, I don't want to go into that. It's a great picture of another country that I'm aware of. <clears throat> I grew up in it. And uh, so his sister church in Babylon sends you greetings. So the Roman church, which is having its own issues at this point in history, they send greetings to these people that are suffering. And it's really cool to see, like, this is just real stuff that's happening. Peter and these guys are hanging out. Peter's writing a letter. He's giving it to Silas, who's getting on a ship, and he's going. Peter might be locked up at this point. It's, it's unclear. And he's going to this church, wherever it is, to give him this letter and deliver it to them. And, and, then, he, and then he commends Mark to them as well. He said, hey, Mark's hanging out with me too. Okay? So these guys, these are all guys that are known when you read the story of Acts. It's, and the story of Acts fills in so much of this. It's really cool that the 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 book of Acts is not just like a pointless story that's put in there just to like, well, that's cool that that happened, I guess, or to prove some sort of theological hobby horse that you want to prove. It's to fill in the blanks of all these letters that were written throughout the book of Acts to help you see how God's working. So it's really cool. Read the book of Acts to see Peter's story and the continuing work. But Peter says, this suffering that you're experiencing is God's grace for you. Peter knows what it's like to suffer and be rejected. Peter was rejected by the church that he led. Think about the injustice of what Peter went through when he's sitting at it on, his, on his roof, like praying one day, and he has a vision. The blanket comes down from heaven with like all these things on it, you know, like uh, ocelot noses and stuff he's not supposed to eat, right? And he's like, okay. And the, and the vision says, 
take and eat, Peter. And he's like, no, I never eat anything unclean, right? So then the vision's like, like rewinds and then starts again, like take and eat, Peter. He's like, no, I never eat anything unclean, right? Rewind it again. Three times he has the same vision and then he's like, hmm, maybe God is saying something to me, right? Like, of course, we all, when we had a vision like that, the first time would be like, of course, yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, three of those. And, no, I'm just, and uh, so Peter, then an angel shows up to just clarify, like, Peter, there's a guy coming to your door. Go downstairs and answer the door and don't ask any questions and go with him. So Peter goes down and answers the door and there's a Gentile there, right? And he said, uh, I'm here to get Peter. He's supposed to come to our house and tell us something. And Peter's like, well, who are you? Well, he starts asking questions. But he does go, and he goes to Cornelius' house, a Gentile. And he goes and preaches the gospel of Cornelius. After having three visions, and an angel told him to go, and then God shows up and pours out the Holy Spirit on Cornelius and his whole family because they respond to the good news of the gospel. And when he comes back to the church in Jerusalem, they say, did you eat dinner at a Gentile's house? Who do you think you are? This is what happens. I mean, we would like to think that we could totally believe in Jesus and follow him and not be affected by ethnocentrism or racism or any of these things, but it was rife in this Jewish church. Not that (laughs) Jewish people are especially evil. I'm just saying they look down on the rest of the world as Gentiles, and you don't eat dinner at a Gentile's house because you're going to eat unclean food, and you can't do that. You're going to dishonor God, and they, they take Peter to task for being obedient to three visions and an angel and the Holy Spirit pouring himself out on the Gentiles. And he has to sort of defend himself and make his case for what's going on. That sucks. Peter leads this church, and James, the brother of Jesus, is is another leader in Jerusalem. And at some point, this church is growing by leaps and bounds, and the authorities say, you know what, let's kill their leaders. That'll help. Because it's always the leaders that stir people up. You know, all the Bernie bros, if we just get rid of Bernie, they're not going to vote for him this year. You know, like, we'll take him out like they did last time. And uh, that kind of works, you know, on movements that aren't of God. But then they take James, and they lock him up, and they behead him. And the church is, like, saddened, but they're not affected, right? So Peter has to see his partner get killed for the sake of the gospel, And then they come and lock up Peter, right? And Peter's in jail, and he knows what's awaiting him. He's going to get beheaded as he's sitting in jail. So here's Peter, knowing James just got killed. Now he's sitting in jail, and the whole church is praying now, God, deliver Peter, like help Peter. And an angel shows up and gets Peter out of prison. If you you don't remember the story, the angel, he thinks he's dreaming, and the angel just unlocks the door and says, come on, Peter, let's go. And Peter gets up, and he's following the angel, and when he gets out of the prison, he kind of like wakes up, and he's like, oh, this is not a dream? Like, I'm out. And he goes back to the house where the church is all praying, he's like, hey, it's me, Peter, let me in, you know? And the little girl's like, Peter's ghost is at the door, and they're like, what? Like, he's like, it's me, you idiots. Like, what a weird story. Like, why is this ghost at the door? Is that that something that happens? Like, kick that girl out. Like, I don't know, what's her deal? But, uh. So Peter finally convinces him that, it's, he, that God let him out of prison and he's back. So it's so cool to see Peter say, uh, God, uh, 
sorry, wrong, wrong passage. He says in 12, uh, I've written this to encourage you. God in his kindness calls you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever and ever. Amen. Like, Peter suffered greatly. Like, if you were, if you were just taken to prison knowing that you were going to be killed, and they just set you down, and you're just waiting. You're just waiting to be killed. That's, that would induce suffering in me. I don't know how you would handle that, but I, the anxiety, like, that would be horrible. And here Peter is sitting, praying, and, he, and he's writing to the church saying, God can come through even at that time. But notice the means that God uses. God called you to share in his eternal glory. That's pretty cool. This whole story, like, your part of an eternal story that God has chosen to share with the world through your life by means of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the means of that, of that happening. So we follow Jesus, right? Jesus said, no, no, no student is, is better than their teacher. Like, they hated me, and they're going to hate you. When we follow Jesus, the, when G- Peter says it's by means of Jesus, we're gonna, that means we're following the road of suffering. It doesn't mean that we're going to get richer and healthier and wealthier and Jesus is going to come through and we're going to receive our blessing. Like the blessing is the forgiveness of sins and the de- declaration of righteousness in Christ. But in this world, we're going to suffer. But it's God's grace for us. It's God's grace that allows us to endure and gives us strength to get through it and then it helps us understand what God was doing through it so that we are able to turn around and encourage others, just like Peter does in this, in this letter. It's truly part of God's grace for you, what you are experiencing. He knows it because he's lived it. So my point in all of this, as, as we look at these passages, don't divorce these passages from what you're going to do tomorrow morning. Like where, wherever it is you're going to jump into, whatever work, whatever tasks, whatever your real life looks like, like God's writing these things. Like bring that humility, like clothe yourself with humility tomorrow morning when you're going into the office <laughs> or when you're going into work or when you're interacting with your coworkers or whatever it is, whatever your life looks like on the, on the regular, like when we see people's stories in the scripture, I think it's important to understand Joseph, Moses, Abraham. These guys followed God, but it wasn't like I followed God and I turned away from the normal life that everyone lives. No, they, they were part of the, the world that God created and God put them in different places to manifest what he was doing at that time. And God's put you right where you're at, where you work, where you live, the family, the friends, the co-workers, whatever it is, he's put you in that place in the school because he has a plan for you to manifest, to show what Jesus is like to other people. He, he has a plan for you to bring humility into a, into a culture that is not humble anymore. We don't care about humbleness in, in America. We are just like at each other's throats in a way that is bothering everyone, but nobody really knows what to do about it. And Jesus is, God is sending out peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? 
and he can give us the grace to make peace. We might not have the wisdom right now, but in the moment, God's going to help us. So take these truths with you. Take this idea that you can resist the enemy. Take this idea that you can stand firm in your faith into the office. That doesn't mean you bring a bullhorn and tracks and jump up on your desk at the coffee break and be like, oh, it's Hitler die. No, that is not what I'm talking about. It means you do your job better. It means that you would actually be a blessing to whatever your business is in a way that people say, you're really doing a great job here. And you're like, yeah, because I'm doing it for Jesus. Like, he wants me to do a great job here. So let these passages, let these encouragements not just be some sort of like devotional reality for you separated from what you do in the everyday, but like bring them with you into your everyday life. One of the verses I say to myself often, often, like almost every day, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Maybe you've said it or heard it or memorized it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I've memorized it in like three different versions. So I want to read a different version as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Jesus is at work in your story. He cares about you and proved it by giving his life so you could receive wholeness in this life. I always always go too long, so, you know, let's stick with tradition. Uh, I, I, you guys, maybe you guys have seen this uh, box truck that was given to me for my business, like a big FedEx van, right? Another pastor, Doxa Community Church, Brian Morgan, worked for FedEx, and I ran into him, and I said, you guys ever sell FedEx vans? And he goes, no, we don't, but I have one I'll give you if you want it. And I'm like, uh, sure. Um, you know, because I'm saving up money to, like, buy a, a work van, right? And uh, so he gives me this van. It's awesome. It's, it's huge. Uh, it's, I don't know how to describe it, comical. Uh, and so I drive it around, but it fits all my tools, and I can put stuff in it, and I can do the dirty work that I do, right? And uh, so what a blessing. But then as I was driving it, I'm like, you know, I'll keep it for a while. And then I'm, I'm like doing the math, and I'm, I'm kind of like spending a car payment on gas for this thing, right? It's a 92, 350,000 miles on it nine miles to the gallon-ish, and uh, I'm like, you know, this is just not long-term like a good solution for me. So last Sunday, was it last Sunday? We prayed. Last Sunday, I said, you know, I'm just going to look for a car, and I found, I found like a work van that I thought would, would work good for me, right? And I, it was at a dealership in Edmond, and I'm like, hey, Angie, you want to go look at this? Like, price is kind of right. It's the right vehicle, and she's like, yeah, okay. So we jump in the car, and we're and I call the guy, hey, I want to come look at this van. He's like, okay. So we start driving up there. And as we're driving out of our parking lot, parking lot, as we're driving out of our neighborhood, uh, I remember we just sort of prayed because I was thinking, God, I just, I just want to buy a good car. I don't want to buy, like, a wrong car. I don't want to make a bad decision. You know, and so I just kind of prayed that prayer as we were leaving our neighborhood. And uh, then when we got to South Center on our way to Shoreline, the guy called me, and he goes, hey, when I went out to get the keys for that truck, 
it has a sold sign in the window. Sorry, we already sold it. And at first, I, you know, my first thought is, okay, you're just trying to like make me pay more or something, right? And, he, and I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, I hung up the phone. And I'm like, immediately, I thought that's my answer to prayer. Like God didn't want me to get that, that car. <laughs> like as simple as that, you know? So it was like, you know, no. I just got off the freeway, got right back on, uh, go and headed back, headed back home, you know? And, and then that night I found a different van, like the same type, like tall, you know, like a Ford Transit type van and uh, ended up getting that one the next day. But it's true, like you can trust God in automobile transactions to help you, not just in some sort of spiritual stuff, right? It's very unspiritual to look on Craigslist for a car and talk to car dealers, but God can help you do that. Like, honestly, and for me, it was just, like, a bit disappointing at first. I'm like, bummer. I wish you would have called me when I was, like, still in federal way, right? But he didn't. But it was like, here's your answer to prayer. I, I already sold it. So there was something that God didn't want me to have about that van. And he got me, he brought me to the other one, which is awesome. You know, so praise God. Like, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. Jesus is at work in your story, and he cares about you, and he proved it by giving his life so that you could be brought into the family of God. So I just want to encourage you, reflect on your story. What has God done? Like, where do you see God? Like, just stop for a moment, and if you can't think of it, just ask God to help you. Where, what, what have you done in my story? Where have you been at work in my story up till now? Like, it's a great exercise to just think back and ask God to give you a vision for what he's done in your life. Sometimes it's surprising where God shows up. I have a lot of stories about that. But he cares about our whole story. He, he gave his life so that we could receive wholeness in this life, so that we could receive a different type of life, a different category of existence that's spirit-filled, that's empowered by a power outside of ourselves to do the stuff that looks like Jesus, that's not in ourselves to do, that can get us through whatever it is that we're facing. God is going to be enough for that in an amazing way. And you see it in all the stories. And you've probably seen it in your own story, but maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you haven't spent time thinking through. So I want to encourage you to do that this week. God wraps his truth in history and the stories of people because that's where it belongs, in the everyday things of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories that you've given us and the stories that you're writing in our own lives. Jesus, you're called the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, write our stories more clearly so that we can follow you. Lord Jesus, help us to understand how to deal with the things that we're facing right now. Whether it's sickness or suffering or happiness or whatever it might be, Lord, help us to have the humility and the grace to cast all of these things on you, knowing that you care for us. Lord Jesus, give us the strength to resist the enemy and to draw near to you. Lord, protect this congregation from this roaring lion, from this roaring liar that wants to come against you this adversary that wants to tear down, that wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and to divide your people. 
Lord, help us to resist and help us to bring your good news to those who are slaves to the fear of death, to those who are believing the lies of the enemy. Lord, I pray that we would be light and that we would be salt in the places that you've planted us. In Jesus' name, amen. So every week we remember, oh yeah, sorry.